Welcome to this episode of the Mystery Cast right here on Tales of Earth, a show that we live stream every Monday at 2 p.m. Eastern uh, on twitch.tv slash comic story. And uh, if you want to support us, you can follow us and sub and all that goodness over on Twitch. You can go to patreon.com slash comic story and support us there. You can also buy Tales of Earth merch uh, through the link below. You can also subscribe to Tales of Earth because that would be recommended if, if you want. Uh, we would like that very much. So uh dan is to my here on the screen here is below me hello <laughs> the, i was gonna call you the london hammer below but i don't know how the that's london gonna come off. Hammer below. Yeah, so, dan where can they find you they can find me dan t producer on twitter and instagram and dan t streamer on twitch great and uh let's see here am i looking in the right direction no this way andy <laughs> where can they find you Yes, Andrew. You can find me, Brian the Andy, on Instagram. <laughs> the Lord, man. Hey, hey, I'm just having fun with the video chat. You know, we're all we're all just a big Brady bunch here, right? So, uh, yeah. So today we are talking about mysterious and strange people in history. Uh, and it turns out there's not a whole lot known about mysterious and strange people. <laughs> <laughs> what? No figure. What? Uh, this article, this first article comes from uh, mentalfloss.com, Seven Mysterious People Without a Past. This first story is absolutely fascinating, but I'll get to that in a second. Uh, the author here says, as the TV show Unsolved Mysteries and its three comebacks proved, there were three comebacks? Uh, folks love a good mystery. History, like, yeah, the first mystery is where did they air these other three comebacks of unsolved mysteries i don't know but the, <laughs> that series used to scare the crap out of me when i was a little kid really my parents would watch it and then just the music and that guy narrating <laughs> scared the crap i mean i was like five or six so oh uh, yeah it never really scared me too much uh i think the only thing that ever actually scared me was I'm trying to remember what was it there was a movie called uh the chainling c-h-a-i-n-l-a-n-g it was like a british like horror film um i was probably like five when i saw it and uh the other one was uh uh, what was it it was a sci-fi film um anyway i forgot history is loaded with people who have disappeared without a trace (laughs) though rarer are those ones who seem to have emerged from nowhere with no trace the era of the internet of course it's getting easier to crack these cold cases but there are still a fair number that remain unsolved here are some of the creepier people without a past uh yeah i I mean benny doesn't ever seem to like find it strange and he, he never actually saw me behind the counter at starbucks right (laughs) <laughs> I thought you were just a homeless guy sitting outside the Starbucks. Yes, in a Starbucks uniform. Uh, <laughs> all right. So number one, Jerome of Sandy Cove. He sounds nice. Good old Although Jerome. Versions, good old Jerome. Although the versions of his discovery differ, the general story goes that in September of 1863 in Nova Scotia, Canada, an eight-year-old boy walking on the beach of Sandy Cove met a man who was suffering from cold and exposure. He also didn't have any legs. <laughs> okay. That is actually I like how it. this story starts. I like it. When the boy's family took the legless man to their home in the village of uh, Digby Neck. That's where I want to live, Digby Neck. They learned that he didn't speak English. 
The townspeople named him Jerome after he murmured something that sounded like that name when they asked who he was. <laughs> not only did he not speak English, he didn't speak in words. As curious uh, looky-loos, I like this person's grammar, mm-hmm. uh, began stopping by the house to check out the mysterious stranger, Jerome would growl at them like a dog. When Jerome was examined, the plot thickened. Uh, it seemed that his amputations were fresh, so much that they still had the dressings on them and hadn't yet healed. As well, it seemed that a skilled surgeon had removed the man's legs. It wasn't an accident. After a while, the people of the mostly Baptist town of Digby Neck somehow decided that Jerome might be Catholic. Because <laughs> that's an important detail, I guess. <laughs> I, I mean, they're like, is this like a Baptist versus Catholic thing? Like, All Catholics growl at people and don't use words. <laughs> Everyone knows that. And amputate their legs. I mean, obviously. Yeah, well, yeah, that's just, I'm pretty sure that's in the Bible. <laughs> By some accounts, because of a Mediterranean appearance, uh, wow. Uh, <laughs> and he was a racist off- in Digby Nick. Yeah, okay. okay, so decided that Jerome might be Catholic and he was shipped off to the nearby Acadian community of Metagon. Uh, he was taken in by Corsican Canadian polyglot Jean Nicola, who tried French on him, like the language people. Uh, in addition to Latin, <laughs> Italian, and Spanish, Jerome either didn't speak them or didn't want to. The uh, phrasing. Like, <laughs> he tried French <laughs> on him. Wait, hold the phone. Oh, 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 this is getting <laughs> oh, awkward. Man, I do look drunk. This camera makes me look really red. Uh, Nicolai <laughs> kept Jerome in his house, uh, anyhow, caring for him for another seven years, along with his wife, Juliet, and stepdaughter, Madeline. Uh, for whom Jerome became a favorite. It was during this time in Metagon that the government was notified of the unidentified uh, double amputee and granted a $2 weekly stipend for his care. Despite living with a linguist, Jerome never learned to speak any language and could only grunt and growl. After uh, Juliet died, Jerome was sent to live with the Kamau family in the nearby town of St. Alphonse. Jerome stayed here for the rest of his life, allowing the Kamiaus to collect admission from onlookers to view him. Wow. In addition to collecting his government stipend, Jerome died in 1912, almost 50 years after he was found on the beach. No one ever figured out who he was. That's so weird. Wow. Yeah, I know. Yeah. Any thoughts, guys? I really want to know what you think about this story. <laughs> Andy, you look uh, very perplexed. I, I like, am. It's, it's so strange for, for multiple reasons. Yeah. For one, if I find a, WMP, a double amputee that doesn't seem to speak any English. And growls right, at you. And growls at me. I'm not keeping him in my house for seven years. <laughs> no. I no, gave I it can't imagine. seven minutes. Seven well, minutes and he's leaving. <laughs> what I find amazing is they didn't like there wasn't some sort of government agency or something. Some kind. Well, of, this was like, also in the eighteen hundreds, though, so there probably wasn't. That's that's true. That's true. Yeah. Yeah. They, yeah. Right. You know, like nowadays they yeah. could they would like get on like an international database and try to find right. his prints or something like that or you know that sort of thing. But like, yeah, right. back then, I mean, they realistically wouldn't have had anything. But still, no. like, I don't know. Well, still, still, I feel like they could have gone in the nearby area and be like, hey, 
Do any of you have training to amputate some, like, uh, amputate someone's right. legs? Because so, if they're fresh and he's on the beach, interview clearly some doctors, he didn't yeah. get himself there. So someone yeah. had to well, have taken him there. <laughs> there's, there's more, actually, if you go down below this picture of him. Uh-huh. So it says, Jerome has become a favorite character in the folk history of Nova Scotia with songs and even films telling a story. And theories on his background still abound. Some posit that Jerome was a sailor who was punished with an amputation after an attempted mutiny. That'll teach you. While others say he was an heir to a fortune, he was mutilated, usurped, and then disposed of. Uh, according to the book published by Nova Scotian historian Fraser Mooney Jr. in 2008, Jerome was an immigrant from a town in nearby New Brunswick who suffered from gangrene and was dropped off on Sandy Cove after he became too great of a burden on the town. Wow. That one, if you, it makes the most sense. It does. He's got no legs. How's he going to get back? Yeah, it's true. Well, it's true. Just leave him on it's the beach. Sad. What's he going to do? It's sad and it's true. Uh, wow. <sighs> Yeah, I, I I wonder I mean, if I mean, back then they thought that like a uh, a leg transplant would allow someone to start walking. And then for some reason, they were like, you know, what? let's try it. We'll take this guy's legs. We'll put it on this other dude. We'll get rid of that guy so that no one can really ask questions about where we got these legs. <laughs> and then there's now some dude out there just with these two random legs that aren't his. And he's like, oh, well, I got these now. <laughs> That's such a Dan attitude about it. Yeah. Well, I mean, I got these new legs. I got these legs. But whatever. There we go. Uh, yeah. So I, I just think that the story. Um, one thing, the author should probably reconsider how they phrase things. Uh, like trying French on him was probably not the best. <laughs> I tried that on my wife early in our relationship. <laughs> well, now you're married, so she you know. also. Well, she also didn't take to it. So. She also didn't take to. Uh, Did she Horizon, grunt and growl as well? <laughs> I'm not even continuing with this joke. I'll get in trouble. Oh man! All right, we just see her head pop into the background of your camera. Like what the hell's he saying in there? Are you telling them about the time I tr you tried French on me? No, of course not. <laughs> of course not. Uh, okay, number two, John Doe, number twenty-four. In October 1945, yeah, John Doe number 24. Uh, in October 1945, a deaf teenager was found wandering the streets of Jacksonville, Illinois, unable to speak, sign, or otherwise communicate. The only thing he could write was the name Lewis. After trying for some time to locate his relatives and failing, a judge sentenced him to the state's mental health system, and he was the 24th nameless person to enter the system. He became known as John Doe number 24. And not Lewis, mystifyingly. The name ended up sticking <laughs> yeah, seriously. with him until he died. After being subjected to abuse for years in the state mental institution, things got worse for John as he eventually lost his eyesight as well, possibly a side effect of diabetes. Once that happened, he was transferred to several different nursing homes after 30 years in the federal mental health system. He was reported to have kept his sense of humor, though, and was a cheerful guy who enjoyed dancing to music, feeling the vibrations. Uh, when he died of a stroke at the nursing home in Peoria in 1993, no one was any closer to discovering who he was or where he'd come from. At his graveside service, when the crowd was asked if anyone had words to say about John, nobody did. Uh, fortunately, he may not be completely forgotten. When she heard the sad story, singer-songwriter Mary Chapin Carpenter 
commemorated him in her song, John Doe number 24. So if you guys want to give that a listen, that's there. Uh, yeah. So the 24th mysterious person to arrive in town to have no name, no history. So they've just, they're just like receiving 24 people just mysteriously. Like we got another one. What's his name? Uh, I don't know. John Doe. uh, well, you got well, enough of those. Nah, 24. Screw it. Nah, John Doe 24. John Doe number 24. Uh, yeah. I, it makes me wonder. I think there's a deeper mystery here as to why this place of all places keeps receiving mystery people. I'm also... I can't imagine that's a common thing that happens to, you know... Something about Illinois. See, I'm very curious how this... Uh, this deaf teenager who is also unable to speak and communicate, who also went blind. I'm very curious about his sense of humor because I don't know how he would perceive right humor he if just, he can't hear. I don't know. I, he used to trip old people down the stairs. Then he would just silently laugh and laugh. <laughs> Maybe he was always trying to escape, you know, like, oh, that, that John Doe number 24 always trying to escape. <laughs> Uh, so I actually worked in a nursing home and there was, uh, uh, an elderly man who was known for, he was, he suffered from, uh, Alzheimer's, some, some kind of dementia and he was known for trying to escape and they would actually warn you if you see him wandering the halls and he's near a door, don't use that door because he will try to take you out and escape. Take you out. He kills four guards. So (laughs) I actually remember seeing him like walking by the door when I tried to open it from the other side, from like the whistling, non (laughs) chalai, and and what whistling? Yeah, yeah, whistling, non chalai. Walk back and forth in front of this door, waiting for somebody to walk through, and uh, I had to take a different door because he was there. I was like, I don't want to get taken out, like, and I don't want to like hurt him either. So right, you know. I get this image of Gary going to a different door across the room, and then he looks back at the guy, and the guy's like, ah, "You got me, <laughs> you got you me, got me. Right. you got me." <laughs> that yeah. little bitch. See, I whenever I hear that kind of stuff, for the record of the the take me out or he'll take you out, my first thought is that's pretty funny because it's an old folks, it's a nursing home. But then my second thought is, wait a second, this is a guy that was probably in a world war and very capable of doing this kind of thing. Oh, I'm yeah. yeah I think he was a veteran. <laughs> like he, he was not uh, a pushover by any means. So, uh, he had that like air about him where you, you, you were convinced that if you just gave him a Bowie knife, <laughs> he, he could take go Rambo on your ass. Go Rambo, yeah. <laughs> Uh, he definitely um, had the air about him. Like he, he's like just a loaded gun, just ready to fire. He's <laughs> so. like that, uh, like one of the, uh, the two old men in that one movie where like the little kid comes and like they live with a lion or some shit. Peep. Oh, oh secondhand yeah. lions. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Secondhand lions. It reminds me of like the older guy in that. Basically. Mm-hmm. Robert Duvall, when he beats up all those yeah. like, punk kids, the <laughs> kids. Oh man. Okay. I'm glad that you guys knew what I was referring to. Otherwise, really like the two actually. old guys, the little kid yeah, and the lion movie. does not make much yeah, sense. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I think that was like the last movie that Haley Joel Osment did when he was a kid. And then he just like stopped right. acting for forever. 
Uh, all right. So number three, Monsieur Kukani. I'm going to guess that that's how it's pronounced. Also known as uh, Shushani, Jewish teacher M. Kukani is best known for his distinguished students, one of whom was Nobel Peace Prize winning author Ellie Weasel. And not his own uh, Weisel, Weisel, Weasel, and not his own works, but that's mostly because he's fervidly guarded the secret of his identity for his entire life. Kukani's disheveled, uh, mendicant-esque appearance is often mentioned in accounts of his life. Uh, Weissel wrote that Kukani was, quote, dirty, hairy, and looked like a hobo-turned-clown or a clown-playing hobo. <laughs> While according to another pupil, the Lithuanian-French philosopher Emmanuel uh, Lavinus uh, says, quote, his external appearance was quite unpleasant, some say even repugnant, but he left a strong impression on his students who called him a master of philosophy, mathematics, and the Talmud. Both men credit him with being one of their most influential teachers ever. Extremely little is known about Kukani's origins. Just after World War II, between 1947 and 1952, the rabbi lived in Paris, then vanished for several years, popping up in Israel for a while. Then he was hanging out in Paris again briefly. Just hanging out. Uh, finally, he moved to hey, South America. <laughs> finally, he moved to South America at some point, where he lived there until he died. Beyond that, all that's really known about this guy is that he was born in 1895, and even the location is unknown. So his real name, uh, Kukani, or so is his real name. Kukani and Shushani are thought to be nicknames and possibly puns. Shushani is a uh, demonym for someone from the biblical city of Shushan, now in modern day Iran. <laughs> Okay, that's quite the nickname. But no one's uh, even clear on why he was called that. That is a mystery as well. <laughs> uh, so where did this nickname come from? No comment. Uh, or when he started being called that, or what the pun is, if there is one. Okay. That's, so they're like, oh, that's a pun. So what's the joke? I don't know. I don't know. I don't get it. Why do people I'm, call I'm, you this? I don't know. I don't know. Everybody just started doing it. And I, I, somebody said it once, and I just nodded. Right. <laughs> uh, we do know that Kukani died in 1968 and that he's buried in uh, Montevideo, Uruguay. Uh, Weissel paid for his headstone and penned his epitaph, or epitaph, which reads, The wise rabbi Kukani of blessed memory, his birth and his life are sealed in enigma. I want that on my on my tombstone. That's pretty solid. Yeah. Nailed it. And then <laughs> nailed it. Yeah. <laughs> nailed it. <laughs> His birth and his life are sealed in enigma. I love that line. That's, oh, uh, I want that to be on my tombstone now. I think we all are now. Yeah, the mystery cast tombstones. Get one today. Um, <laughs> Jesus. <laughs> we should make little tiny ones you can put like on your desk. Yeah. <laughs> Here lies Gary. His <laughs> life is wrapped in an enigma. Sealed in enigma. Sealed, I'm sorry. Sealed, sealed. in enigma. Yes. Oh my goodness! Oh uh, yeah, that was pretty good. Any thoughts on this guy? See, no, this I one... like the fact that everyone's like, obviously, his name is a pun. Well, what's the pun? I don't know. <laughs> obviously, it's a pun. I it's like got to be I a like joke. I mean, it, why yeah. not, right? Bella of the Witch Elm, which Bella uh, Witch yes. Elm sounds like a cool character name. I, I like actually, it. it does actually. Uh, it's like like another Witcher story, like yeah, uh, some I don't know. It just sounds like a cool name, Bella Witch. <clears throat> Ooh, I like it. Oh, here here's an idea: a gravestone that says "Bella of the Witch Elm." Her birth and her life are sealed in a sealed enigma. In enigma. 
All right. So 1943, in the thick of World War II, everything seems to happen around World War II. Have you noticed that? Mysteries yeah. World War II. Seriously, I'm serious. Yeah. Like, I, I think probably half of the mysteries we've covered on this channel have revolved around World War II in some way. Yeah. I feel like after World War II, records started being more prevalent. And it, it started well, becoming a, a yeah, harder like, thing to become a mystery because it was like, oh, right, we do have dental records now. We kind of do know who these people are. Right. As yeah. opposed to before where they're like, I don't know, it looks like, I don't know, we'll just call him Joe. He's writing Lewis. Screw it. He's now John. He's John Doe. He's now Screw John. It. He's John Doe. John Doe. But he's writing uh, Lewis. No, 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 no. <laughs> he's, writing, he's literally writing the name Lewis. No, I think no, his name is Lewis. No, no, no that's no, stupid. No. He's a John. <laughs> clearly like he's a john you think everyone Obviously. looks like john <laughs> <laughs> you think everyone looks like that's actually john. how people like show up to that men's till institute by the way they're like all right this this guy his name's robert nah he looks more like a john a john like a john doe 23 all right put him back there who's this guy i think his name's lewis no nope, john <laughs> Listen, Dan, you gotta you gotta stop choosing names. You're not very good at it. What are you talking Shut up, about? John. Well, it's Gary. <laughs> Shut up. Your name's John now. Name is John. Uh, uh, in 1943, the thick of World War II, four boys were playing in Hagley Wood outside of Storbridge, England, when they made a grim discovery: a human skull in the hollow trunk of a witch hazel tree. Sweet. That would frighten any child. I'm just saying. Especially because it's uh, a witch hazel tree. Seriously, when police returned to the scene, uh, they found more goodies inside the tree. Maybe not phrase it like that. Maybe I love this author. Skulls, a femur, a couple of Reese pieces. <laughs> a, nearly, a nearly complete skeleton of a middle-aged woman along uh, with some bits of clothing, a shoe, and a cheap wedding ring. Uh, a severed hand was subsequently discovered buried nearby. Uh, the corpse was found to have a piece of taffeta in its mouth, suggesting the woman had been asphyxiated and she'd been dead about a year and a half. It's surmised that she was stuffed into the tree while she was still warm as rigor mortis would have prevented it. Uh, yeah, you don't want to let the body is, cool. <laughs> as the war was raging, the process of identification was uh, st stymied. Uh, people disappear all the time during a war, often on purpose. Authorities could roughly discern that the what the woman looked like, but they had no idea where she was from. All they had was her approximate age, 35, her height, 5 foot, her uh, hair color, uh, moussey brown. Mousy, and the fact, mousy brown. Mousy, mousy brown. Are those moose like, you know, like the dessert moose? <laughs> I mean, that's fair she too. Moose can be brown. Yeah, mousy, mousy brown. And the fact that she had messed up teeth. Who wrote this? A search of 3,000 missing person cases did no good. And although the press did cover the story, no one came forward with information. Uh, the war surged on and people forgot about the incident. No one came forth going, ah, my bad. I killed her and stuffed her in the tree. You caught me. I should have told you. <laughs> Here's my question. Why was yeah. a, a hand buried separately a little farther away? A tree can only fit so much. <laughs> it's just like a hand sticking like, out. It just looks weird. Let me put it over here. <laughs> Somebody's going to notice that. <laughs> uh, cut that off and bury it five feet away. Uh, to add to the creepiness, strange messages starting, uh, started appearing around Christmas of 1943 or 1944. Sources differ. In the West Midlands town of Old Hill, not far from Hagley, a graffito in which chalk appeared on the side of an empty building, inquiring who put Lubella down the witch elm. 
which hazel and which elms are easily mistaken for one another. Another similar phrase uh, soon showed up in nearby locations, always including the name Bella or Lou Bella and frequently the name of Hagley Wood. After a week or two, the phrase became more consistent, taking the form of who put Bella in the witch, sometimes witch out. Okay, so somebody, like, that's not creepy, and that's one of the pictures above. Yeah, I was going to say that yeah. looks like one of the images. This looks like a, uh, like these kids found it and then started telling their friends like it was a horror story, and then it turned into a Bloody Mary situation. But they're I like, mean, well, yeah, if, if you yeah, don't say true. who put Bella down the witch home, Bella will come and eat your face off and cut your hand which, and put it five feet away from your body. What you have to do is you have to write who put Bella in the witch elm uh, written in chalk on your house. That way she knows it wasn't you and you yeah. are questioning who did it. There you go. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. This so was actually the... Pass, uh, when she passes your house, she will see that you are not the culprit because you too are questioning it and she won't kill you. Interesting. <laughs> this yeah, is actually yeah. the inspiration for Dirty Dancing. Uh, the first person on that where Tarita was like, who put Bella in the corner? Oh, no, in the witch... Uh, you know what? Who in put baby in the corner? Yeah, let's let's use yeah, that. I like it. <laughs> a little bit of a stretch. Okay, <laughs> just a little bit of a stretch. A little bit, a little bit of a stretch. A little bit. Yeah, a little bit. A tiny bit. Uh, <laughs> despite the messages, the case remained as cold as ever. The best lead uh, the police ever came up with was that a Nazi spy ring had been operating in the Midlands area during the war, and one of the women connected to the spies was named Clarabella Drunkers. Uh, or possibly uh, Clara Burel, uh, who was in her 30s and had irregular teeth. They didn't have enough information, though, to confirm she was the Bella they were looking for. No one ever managed to work out the identity of the graffiti artist or artists either. Uh, the phrase kept appearing for decades after the murder in or, and around the Midlands. Many of the instances found it spray-painted in white, all caps, on the base of the 250-year-old Witchbury Obelisk in Birmingham. Uh, that location seems to have first been chosen in the 1970s, and the question that last appeared there in 1999. At that point, it was probably some form of like an urban legend around the town, right. and then exactly. teenagers yeah. were like, "Oh, let's do it! Yeah. It'll be awesome! Oh, what yeah. should we spray paint it this time?" That's yeah, exactly. Yeah. I, I I would agree with that. So yeah. Bella yeah, is so kind of like now the original instances. I have no other answer other than my supernatural episode version of one. Uh, but, uh, yeah. It sounds yeah. very ritualistic, like almost, almost as if she might have actually died normally, but was a part of some sort of spiritual belief or religion that you were to be buried in a very specific way, uh, to like, maybe like a witch elm prevents you from burning in hell or something like it sounds like it could have potentially been something like that but the who put bella in the witch out that sounds like a uh an urban legend that people just really yeah. grabbed onto and were started like started running with yeah exactly yeah. but i could see it potentially being like an actual ritualistic thing of potentially being buried in a tree because trees are known right. for being sort of not mystical, but in like a lot of different like lore, different kinds of wood have different meanings towards certain things. So I could see that. But at the same time, I kind of like the idea that it was a Nazi spy ring that found her and then put her <laughs> in a tree. That does sound kind of cool. cool. What a way to die. What a way. 
Just saying, Number if five. I die mysteriously, guys, if I die mysteriously, put me in a tree. If I die and don't say anything, trust no one, <laughs> not even Dan. Oh, I don't already. Especially so it's fine. not no, me Dan. either. Especially not Dan. That's the that's the best uh, advice you'll ever hear from Andy. Don't trust Dan. <laughs> don't trust Dan. Number five, man of the hole. He has a slew of nicknames, and you know, man of the hole is uh, is is flattering. It's actually one I had in college, but <laughs> keep going. <laughs> he has a slew of nicknames, including the last tribesman, which I I, I would prefer personally. I would must prefer uh, that and, over the next one. And the loneliest man on earth, but his real name, like his backstory, isn't known. Uh, usually called the man of the hole. He was first discovered to be living alone in the Amazon rainforest in 1996 on a patch of land surrounded by cattle ranchers. And it's thought that he is the last living member of his indigenous tribe, which one that's unknown too, as is the language he speaks. Uh, MOFH's uh, or MOFH's most common nickname derives from his practice of digging narrow six foot deep chasms inside of each of his homes, which are made of straw thatch and giant leaves and each of which he eventually discards to build a new shelter leaving the hole behind it's thought that the purpose of the holes is to trap animals or perhaps it's a place for him to hide he also has a garden where he grows uh, manioc corn and pawpaw fruit among other produce since 2007 brazil's uh, uh how would you pronounce that uh, the country's government child <laughs> yeah uh, the country's government protection agency there for natives uh, has made it illegal to develop on or even trespass on the man of the holes land beginning with uh, cordoning off 31 square miles around his territory and later expanding it by 11.5 more he'd already been granted rights to his traditional land per Brazil's constitution as of 2014 the man of the hole was alive Although he'll fire an arrow at you if you get too close. How interesting. Like there, there's so many possibilities for why you would like, I mean, it dig sounds like hole. my retirement plan. So to, you know, to build uh, houses, so dig there, holes, there make a new house and dig holes, fire arrows, anybody who comes by. I yep. like it. I like so it. So the, the latest article I can find on this was from uh, June. I'm sorry, July of 2018. So he's still around. Apparently there was footage of him as. As, as of July 24th, 2018. So how interesting. He's still out footage. there. Yeah. How interesting. Well, yeah, that that there would be a lone man in the Amazon who speaks a language because we've we've studied languages in the Amazon. A lot right. of tribes, so you would think like, it would be uh, well, like it would like a, a, there would be some knowledge of it. Yeah, yeah something that you yeah. could you could put it to. Well, to be but fair on that one though, to be fair on that one, there are known indigenous tribes in the world that uh, modern humans have not been able to talk to, communicate, or really That's understand true. anything yeah. about because the second they go near They're them, hostile. they get killed. Like, yes. like there, there are tribes like that. So I could see this being 
a situation like that where people don't know the information because it is a very secretive thing. I mean, probably yeah. back when they were tribes, that's not things you just share freely and willingly. But that's very interesting that it's it's just one guy and he's still doing this and he's still moving. That's the thing that kind of surprises me a little bit is that he's still making a new house, digging a hole, living there and then moving to a new place. Is that what I'm that is did strange, I hear yes. that correctly? Why, like why of all places? I, I understand digging a hole is like a trap outside, you know, where where whatever you're hunting can fall in. But sure, in why home. in the house? Oh yeah. wait, the house. Actually, considering it's the Amazon rainforest, I'm surprised uh, it wasn't potentially a water drain. They do that so that when it rains, yeah, the water is forced to go in a certain location, mm -hmm. and then potentially when the hole gets like filled up enough, I mean, it's essentially tribesman sump pit. Yeah, yeah I yeah. guess. Yeah. Or it could just be his indoor plumbing. Or that's where he takes his baths and poops. Also, or just his pit. That's my pit. This is my <laughs> pit. He stands it's, back. He's like, that's a good hole. It's a good hole. It's, it turns <laughs> out that's right. actually his hobby. What we got going on today? It's like, what do you do for fun? <laughs> I, I dig pits. <laughs> I dig holes. I mean, I'm in the middle of the Amazon. There's no Wi-Fi. So what else am I going to do? So do you have a lot of hobbies? Well, I am a pit enthusiast. <laughs> Some might even call amateur, me a man of, of the whole. Yes. Uh, amateur uh, I've, got pit it, enthusiast. I've got it down to a science now, and yeah, I'm quite yeah. good at it. Well, I can identify a six-foot pit just by looking at it. I can, <laughs> I can spot a six-foot pit from a mile away. There's one. <laughs> yep. <laughs> uh, number six, Casper Hauser. Uh, this one is almost certainly a hoax, but what an elaborate <laughs> hoax it is. In May of uh, 1828, the teenage boy in peasant clothes was found roaming the streets of what is now Nuremberg, Germany. After uh, affecting such a helpless and confused air that passersby stopped to assist him, he carried on him two letters, one from his caretaker who said he had raised the boy from infancy and tutored him in reading, writing, and religion, but never allowed him to, quote, take a single step out of my house, and the other from his mother, uh, stating that he was born on April 30th, 1812, that his name was Caspar Hauser, and that his uh, cavalry, that Sorry, and that his cavalryman of a father had died. The letters were in the same handwriting. He was taken to the home of Captain Von uh, Wessenig, where the only things he would say were that he wished to be a cavalryman and his father was and. Oh, because his father was uh, and horse, horse. If he were asked any sure. further questions, he would burst into tears and shout, don't know. Uh, when Hauser ended up in custody of the police, jailed as a vagrant in Nuremberg Castle, he said a little more. He claimed to have been held in a dark cell oof, for as long as he could remember with only a wool blanket, two wooden horses, and a toy dog, and fed nothing but bread and water. As such, he refused to eat any food he was given except bread and water, displaying a special disgust for meat. He, had, he added that he never saw the face of his uh, custodian. Only that he'd occasionally drink bitter tasting water and then wake to find that his hair and nails had been cut. As well, he seemed obsessed with horses, lighting up with joy after someone gave him a toy horse, petting it, talking to it. However, the boy seemed in good health, climbing 90 steps up the tower to the jail cell, and he didn't display any signs of rickets or other malnourishment that would come along with being raised in a dungeon. 
He said he'd uh, been taught to walk recently by a mysterious man with a blackened face who taught him the phrase, I want to be a cavalryman as my father was in an old Bavarian dialect. This is a weird story, but he had no idea what it meant. He said the same man was the one who dropped him off on the street in Nuremberg. So what does he mean? He doesn't know what it means. If he's obviously communicating. Anyway. I, yeah. Yeah. Let's, yeah. let's finish this, this before. Yeah. Hosser was an object of great curiosity and people began to visit him in his jail cell, including the city's mayor who spent many hours talking with him. Rumors began circulating that he was uh possible nobility, maybe even one of the princes of the house of uh, Baden or Baden. After two months, Hosser was released and a schoolmaster, uh, George Domir, eventually took the boy into his home and began instructing him on writing, reading, and drawing, which Hauser showed a strong skill for, especially for somebody who allegedly never had the occasion to practice. After about a year, Hauser started getting mysteriously injured. He was found one day in Dummer's cellar with a head wound, saying he was attacked by a man in a hood who told him, you still have to die ere you leave the city of Nuremberg. Uh, he claimed it was the same man who took him to Nuremberg. He recognized the voice. That's creepy. It's uh, so weird. It's so weird. This resulted in his being moved to the home of a m- municipal authority about six months later. A pistol went off in Hosser's bedroom and he was found with another bleeding head wound. He explained that he'd accidentally knocked the pistol from where it was hanging on the wall. The problem was that the wound was pretty minor and certainly not consistent with a gunshot wound. Uh, his caretakers accused him of lying and sent him to the house of Baron von Tucher, who also complained of Casper's lies as well as his vanity. The boy continued to burn bridges as he was shuttled around to different caretakers and summarily kicked out after a few months. One patron wrote, Hauser is a smart, scheming codger, a rogue, a good-for-nothing <laughs> that ought to be killed. Whoa. In 1833, five days after a huge fight with another schoolmaster who had taken the teen in and found uh, he was a giant liar, Casper showed up with a serious chest wound. He claimed he was lured to the uh, Ansbach Court Garden, and a stranger had given him, a, given him a bag and then stabbed him in the left breast. Then poli- when police searched the boy, they came up with a violet purse containing a letter written in Spiegel script German mirror writing, in English, it said, Hauser will be able to tell you quite precisely how uh, I look and from where I am. To save Hauser the effort, I want to tell you myself from where I come. I come from something, the Bavarian border on the river. I will even tell you my name, MLO. Nobody believed him this time, saying the wound, like the previous ones, was likely self inflicted. And he probably just punctured his chest more deeply than he meant to. Uh, yeah, the letter. I mean, it probably doesn't have a lot of experience stabbing himself. Uh, the letter was also, not. yeah. It's folded, hard to practice. It's hard to practice. <laughs> the letter was also folded in a peculiar triangle shaped <clears throat> uh, shape that Hauser himself was known to use. And mm-hmm. it contains some grammatical errors that were typical of his writing. So, they did nothing, and Hauser died from his wound three days later. He's buried in Ansbach, and the epitaph, re- er, epitaph I keep saying that, uh, reads, Here lies Caspar Hauser, enigma of his time, mysterious his death. 
Another enigma. I, I want mine to say enigma of his time. Here lies Andrew Potter, <laughs> enigma of his time. Enigma of his time. Makes me sound a lot cooler. <laughs> Although historians seem to agree that Hauser was full of it. None of them even figured out where he came from in the first place. That is the mystery. And the idea that he was a lost prince of uh, Baden prevailed for over a century. Finally, in 1996, a blood sample of Hauser's was compared to samples from living members of the House of Baden. No dice. So, just sounds like a wandering liar. Yeah, honestly, that doesn't sound so much like a liar, but honestly, like, uh, based on when it was, potentially either a child of incest or a child with autism. I I mean, I hate it, like, because back then... It, not much information was known about it and people who are scared tend to lock their fears away and if you had a child that was autistic back then and you didn't want to give it up but you also were keeping it like a lot of the things in that sound very similar of the a very aptitude for doing certain things for enjoying some things and being very opposed to other things the uh, like there's just some aspects to it that sound like it could have been something like that, but this is one hell of a story and adventure for this person. Like this yeah. is and, and right up to the part where he stabbed himself. <laughs> yeah, I think there's there's definitely some mental instability there because nobody yeah. just willingly wants to stab themselves. Well, I mean, when you've when you're raised in a dungeon with only he bread and water, like you you kind of wow. get a little crazy. I'm sure. Right. Yeah. Well, like, still pretty crazy. (laughs) Number seven, green boots. Uh, It's one thing to die shrouded in mystery, your identity never discovered. But it's another for your anonymous frozen body to serve as a landmark for the next 13 years. To be fair, it's not much an uncommon thing to do when you're dealing with bodies on Mount Everest. Obviously, it's hard enough to climb. Uh, it's hard enough to climb the thing, much less to retrieve dead people and drag them down the mountain, especially if they've fallen into difficult uh, to access places. That was a situation with the corpse known as Greed Boots, who lay on his right side with his face obscured from view on the world's highest mountain from at least 2001 until 2014. Oh, this sounds like just uh, somebody died on the mountain. Mm-hmm. Although there are approximately mm-hmm. 200 frozen human bodies on Everest at any given time. What? Didn't I mean, that. that actually doesn't surprise me. Really. I didn't know that. Oh, I mean, it doesn't. Yeah. Yeah. I, I read that a long time ago that basically Mount Everest is just littered with frozen dead bodies. Because people are just like, hey, I have an idea. I'm going to yeah. climb out. I mean, it's, it's just people who, yeah, we're yeah. either not properly prepared or a storm comes in or something like that. But hey, what a I'm way to die. Light. What's that? <laughs> said, what a way to die. Yeah. Well, basically, it's like if you're climbing Mount Everest, you are literally walking by through a graveyard, essentially, is what it is. Yeah. Wow. Okay. For the record, now climbing Mount Everest sounds like some sort of like fantasy quest of hiking through a frozen graveyard <laughs> yep, to the tallest mountain of the world. It's like the Dead Marsh in Lord of the Rings, basically. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, exactly. Uh, so what you just have this idea like hey I'm going to go for a nice light hike up Everest yeah, yeah let's do that <laughs> should I put on pants nah my shorts are good nah, pants are loose I need, I need the freedom and mobility that only my boxers <laughs> freedom can provide of mobility. oh man 
<laughs> do you need a do you need maybe like an oxygen mask or something <laughs> there's oxygen up there yeah, yeah i mean it's i mean there's right. oxygen all around this guy so yeah. what do i need oxygen for <laughs> oh my goodness Although there are approximately 200 frozen human bodies on Everest at any given time, it was the location of green boots in combination with his bright lime green footwear that made him so memorable. At around 27,900 feet, all expeditions coming in from the north side could plainly spot green boots curled in his final resting place, a limestone cave. He's so well known that another climber, David Sharp, died in green boots cave. That's its name. Uh, in 2006, after lying there in a hypothermic state for hours, while at least two dozen, two dozen other climbers passed him. It's believed yeah. that the other climbers saw him and thought he was green boots already dead and therefore didn't stop and help. That's fair, actually. Wow. I mean, to be fair, yeah. like if you're in a blizzard on a mountain yeah. and you know there's a dead body in there, I could see the thought process of, oh, it's just that dead body that's always there that everyone talks about. Yeah, I just... I don't think I'm ever going to climb Everest. Uh, there are lots Come of ideas. On, you like can that. just don't sleep in a cave that's known for having yeah, dead bodies to, in it. <laughs> yeah, that's known for having dead bodies next to it. Yeah. There are lots of ideas out there as to who Green Boots is. He's most commonly thought to be the Indian climber Soang Paljur, uh, who was known to have been wearing green boots the day he disappeared on Everest in 1996. Other people think it's the body of his climbing partner, Dorje Morup. Both men died in the Everest disaster of 1996. The Everest disaster of 96. What is that? Along with six others, there have been many deaths on Everest, more than 200. And it seems unlikely that Green Boots' identity will ever get pinned down. In 2014, he or she disappeared, presumably removed and buried. Apparently, the 1996 Mount Everest disaster occurred on the uh, May 10th to 11th of 1996, when eight people caught in a blizzard died on Mount Everest during attempts to descend from the summit. Okay. Over the entire season, 12 people died trying to reach the summit, making it the deadliest season on Mount Everest at the time. Damn. Solved Lori Erica Ruff. Uh, September 2016 update. The case has now been solved. Lorieka Ruff was Kimberly McLean, a Pennsylvania woman who left her family at age 18. Okay. Lori Ruff has been acting bizarrely in the months prior to her death, uh, in had been acting bizarrely in the months prior to her death in 2010, but it wasn't anything new. Her husband, Blake, had recently separated from her for that reason. Lori had always been a weird one, refusing to let any members of his family hold their baby daughter or, um, yeah, for starters, although she was in her 40s, she'd asked for an easy bake oven for Christmas. She also had a strange habit of abruptly leaving family gatherings to take to go take a nap. Lately, I'd got it had gotten worse after Blake filed for divorce. Lori had been sending harassing emails to his family. It even stole a set of their house keys. That's what you want. This just sounds like a strange person. Like this yeah. is just. Uh, but even after she committed suicide by gunshot in Longview, Texas, neither her husband nor any of her in-laws saw the final bombshell coming. Uh, throughout her marriage, their marriage, a lockbox had been stashed in the couple's closet, a lockbox that Blake had been instructed to never touch. And when it was pried open, he found to contain a series of documents pointing to a very convoluted past. Ooh. Lori had always been evasive about her background, seeing her parents were dead and she had no siblings. And it turns out she had good reason to be KG. Prior to marrying Blake and becoming Lori Erica Ruff, she had been Lori Erica Kennedy, having illegally changed her name in July of 1988. But only a few months before that, it seems her name had been Becky Sue Turner. 
And according to an investigator, the family knew Becky Sue Turner was a two-year-old who had died in a fire in Fife, Washington in 1971. That's where the trail stops. Ruff had also gotten herself a new social security number after she changed her name to Lori Kennedy, which basically wiped her identity clean. It's not known that the name, uh, what the name she used before she was Becky Sue or really much about her at all. Only that she got a GED and a degree in business administration from the University of Texas at Arlington in 1997 and may have once worked as an exotic dancer, according to an old acquaintance. What the hell? My word. All right. The lockbox also contained fake letters of reference from an employer and a landlord, as well as scraps of paper with uh, illegible writing on them. Only the words North Hollywood police 402 months and the name of attorney Ben Perkins were made out as thought she might have been facing possible jail time 402 months of it at some point. It's also suspected due to some of the documents she might have been older than she'd purported to be a theory that's supported by the fact that she suffered infertility when she was supposedly in her twenties and resorted to in vitro fertilization to conceive her daughter in 2008. Ruff wrote uh, Blake in an 11 page suicide note, as well as a shorter one addressed to her daughter, but neither those nor any found in the lockbox. Uh, or her squalid house full of dirty dishes and scribbly scraps of paper has cleared up the mystery of who she was or where she came from. The police don't uh, have any leads, only a list of ruled out suspects. The social security investigator assigned to the case in regard to Ruff's next level identity theft skill says she's very good. Okay. Despite being solved, that's actually pretty cool. That's in sorry, in like cool world. in the sense of like, that's so insane how much she had gone yeah. through after supposedly dying in a fire, which brings up questions of how did no one find her or why did they think she had died without a body? Yeah. If she wasn't there. How interesting. <laughs> I don't know. It's very, yeah. All of this is very, very, very strange. Um, it makes me wonder sometimes when I meet people, uh, generally strangers, because I, I'm, I'm fairly certain my wife is who she says she is, given I've met her family and like, I've seen baby are pictures. Are they her family or are they paid actors? Oh, paid actors, definitely. Fair point. Fair They've point. never hugged, so they must be paid actors. <laughs> uh, you know, when I, when you meet strangers, you know, they tell you their name, you know, or, you know, you get kind of get to know them a little bit. You have to wonder sometimes, like, are they telling the truth? Are they really who they say they are? Right. I'm going to start uh, doing that. I'm going to start giving people fake names. Fake <laughs> names. They're all going to be John. <laughs> my name is Blake Lively. No, I'm going I'm to I'm come up with like really – I'm going to be like, yeah, my name's uh, Rodrigo Lopez. How you doing? Nice to meet Rodrigo you. Rodrigo uh, Lopez. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, you know, just, just like out of nowhere names that really just do not my fit me. My name is uh, Hasunori Matsuda. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. I am a Diego Montoya. <laughs> hey, Diego. <laughs> oh, man. Regina Falange. There you go. Nice. Nice. Uh, but it does. It makes you wonder sometimes if people are who they say they are. Like, you don't know. I mean, somebody could be, have a very good reason for choosing a different identity or, you know, changing right. their name. You know, things I like mean, that. Who Just says I'm Dan Rose? It sounds like a good time. <laughs> To change your name? <laughs> to change your name, to introduce no, yourself no, as no, a no, different no. person. Forget tattoos. <laughs> what, what if we legally changed our name? <laughs> what if you were at a bar one day and someone's like, you know what? I think I'm going to change my name. And they leave. 
And then like a couple hours pass and you're still drinking. They come back and they're like, and now I am Alex. <laughs> I am Alex no, Jefferson. No, they, they, they come back. You're like, hey, J- hey, John. Hey, hey, John. 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 He's <laughs> like. No, nope, that's not my name, bro. I that's don't know not what my name, bro. <laughs> oh, are you talking to me? Uh, oh, no. None yeah. of my identification matches my legal name now. I can't buy beer. <laughs> no. I'm going to go legally change my name back. Could yeah. you imagine if someone stole an identity and then after doing it, they looked at the age and it turns out they weren't drinking age and they were like, son of a Damn. bitch. I got a <laughs> fake ID and it 20. didn't work. <laughs> it didn't work. Fake ID is only 20. More months. Oh, God. Oh, man. So, yeah, what do you guys think about this list? Uh, they go from like genuinely mysterious to just kind of creepy to yeah. Uh, yeah. sounds like that kid. The uh, what was his name? Casper Hauser. It was just a liar, like just just full of it. Um, yeah, and I also wonder, like, how much of this is a filter of the time in which they took place? Yes, I think yeah, that's I a big say, I think factor. That's part of it, yeah. Because I am, right. I am curious. I'm curious if anyone has a such a mysterious history as some of those, but in today's age. Like, right. like if a week ago some kid had found a W amputee on a beach, like what would happen out of it if it happened today? I'm very, today, I'm very curious. Well, today you, if you found somebody on the beach, you'd have to stay at least six feet apart from them. So and uh, tweet it out with an Instagram and, post, starting right, GoFundMe. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yep. Yeah. That steal all that money from the GoFundMe. Exactly. Exactly. So how interesting. So still treat the guy like he's a pariah. Of course. Right. Just with GoFundMe instead Why of paying people the guy to like he's a pariah? Yeah. You know what's also... everybody like they're pariahs. Imagine if the, uh, the one with the kid that was supposedly a liar, what if it turned out he wasn't a liar and the person just knew exactly how uh, to manipulate everyone else of, well, if he writes like this and folds in triangle, triangles, easy. I'll do that myself. It, it was no one would elaborate. expect it. And like the, yeah, the yeah. list of things, like giving it away, it's kind of like when someone asks you a question and uh, you don't technically lie. You say the truth that is bad, but you say it in a slightly sarcastic way of, yeah, I killed four kids the other week. And it's yeah, like, yeah, yeah. technically, you just confess, but you say it a certain way. And that is what happened with Casper the Friendly Ghost. I don't remember his actual name, but that's what? now his name. <laughs> Casper, yeah, yeah. yeah. So he uh, I think my favorite story ghost. out of all of these is probably which uh, the man who like oh. digs holes. That one is man actually is a pit enthusiast. A I like enthusiast. Yes, I like that one because it's it's an actual just straight up mystery, as opposed yeah, right. to the other ones which were more mysterious disappearances. Not so much right. mysterious of who they were, as opposed to shoe exactly. shiny. Mm. shoe shiny <laughs> which is a funny nickname man do you get it no me <laughs> either <laughs> nobody does do you get the joke he's like no damn it i was hoping you would <laughs> it's a- i don't get it either oh man so oh, yeah we're not gonna go into the second list because that one actually took longer than i thought it would oh yeah that's uh plenty much for, uh, uh, i think we'll do the next list next week all right. Uh, the 10 weirdest people in history from the toxic lady to the hopeless romantic gravedigger. 
I like to think I'm Love on the, that list. I'm sorry. The weirdest the... people in history. <laughs> are you yes, the you are. Digger? I just that's my goal in life to just appear on a list at some point somewhere. I don't know how or why. A list of Andes. I don't know. A list of something weirdest Andes in history. And it's like yeah. me, Andy Kaufman, uh, the two Andes from Hot Fuzz. Yeah, yeah, the two Andes from Hot Fuzz. Yeah, that's pretty much it. <sighs> it's a short list. I'm on a list of Daniel Rumbles. It's me. There's a lady <laughs> here. Handles online. Here's uh, let's see here. Oh goodness. Carrie, are you starting another list? I, I was gonna say, are we are we closing out this episode? I don't Gary's know. Just now he's Google. Our whole episode is just okay. him him googling stuff now. Ah, uh, uh, oh, ah. That's me Googling stuff. That was weird. <laughs> that was weird. That was let's the point. Let's just close this out now. That yeah, let's, let's just close hey, it. Don't judge me uh, in my like end of times bunker. I think uh, Benny in chat is. Your... That my kid can get it to Just yeah. check chat yeah. real quick, Gary. <laughs> oh, I know. <laughs> oh, I know. <laughs> um, yeah, apparently my kid can get into the bunker. So I don't know how she did that. I mean, it's probably a good thing that she can get in here because like you know safety just saying uh, that your bunker isn't very secure this is the weirdest no, outro no i've ever seen get into this bunker and then like a little hand comes up starts you. <laughs> Damn it. um okay gary sounds equals demonetized all right so any last thoughts no. that you're a weirdo and should be on the list somewhere <laughs> probably gary Gary accomplished it. He's on a list. He's on a yeah. list before me. It's son of a bitch. This is this is my Gary bunker. Uh, you just can't see or hear the other Garys walking around. Oh, <laughs> oh my god! Yeah, my god. Yeah. Hey, see what I did there? Yeah, It'd be weird if like another Gary just wandered around behind you. That would be weird. That would actually legitimately scare me. Uh, yeah. The stream would go down immediately, and uh, I'd have to figure that out. <laughs> so, and then you'd come out. back surprisingly calm. Yep. surprisingly calm and just slightly different <laughs> so all right anyway. well thank you guys for watching this episode of mystery cast right here on tales of earth uh dan thank where can you. they find you <laughs> they can find me on twitter and instagram at dan T producer or on twitch at dan T streamer or on tinder at dan T lover <laughs> tinder at dan T lover I aka it was the hammer. london hammer yeah Gotta be Andy? both a little bit. Yeah. Where can they find hey, you? You got it that time. Uh, well, Gary, they can find me on Prime Andy on Netflix or Netflix <laughs> on Netflix. <laughs> I got my own Netflix. show. What is uh, on Instagram? Instagram. We're all doing new things with this, like uh, social distancing. Yeah, and I'm trying to do things. So. Yeah, you can find me on uh, YouTube at Film Circuit, Twitter Film People in History, uh, whose mystery is strange person in history. Oh, absolutely! Based on this absolutely. last uh, outro, I, I will, f I will forever go now, go down as an enigma in the bunker <laughs> of my time. Of my time. <laughs> I'm gonna go dig a hole, guys. All right, oh. all right. <laughs> bye, guys. Bye, bye, bye. <laughs>